Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. All right. Well, hey, grab your Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. And um, today I want to talk to you about our privilege of surrendering to Jesus and living a life of total surrender, being completely yielded to his voice. Um, I, a couple, couple weeks ago, I thought of it this way. Obedience is saying yes to God after he speaks. Surrender is saying yes to God before he speaks. So you can live a life of pure, mere obedience, which is transactional. You can be obedient without there being intimacy and connection. But when there is trust and you say yes before you even know what will be required or requested of you, there's, there's something beautiful there. And so we all have a privilege to live a life of surrender to Jesus. And in our age, there is a drive to achieve significance with what we make and what we produce and who we know and how far we go in our accolades, our hobbies, our careers. But I would, I would suggest that significance is found in our surrender. So I'm going to talk to you about surrender for a few minutes. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was consenting to his death. That word consent means to take great pleasure. Who is Saul? He is a first century um, religious leader who was responsible for persecuting the church. He is consenting to his death, who is his Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr that we know of, um, lays his life down for the gospel of Jesus. Stephen has been killed for his belief in Jesus. Um, Saul is very much involved behind the scenes. And it says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles remained in Jerusalem. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. In history at this time, Whenever the Sanhedrin sentenced someone to death, they were never allowed to be buried in the ground. It tells you something about who Stephen was as a man, the fact that they took him and buried him in the ground. This is an act of great honor. It is an act of great risk. They are risking their lives to honor someone who is deceased. It tells you something about Stephen. And they made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, as for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, and I will add children, and committing them to prison. Verse 4, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So let me stop here. Who is Philip? In Acts chapter 6, this is what it says. They chose... Um, Verse 3, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word and saying, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen. So Stephen is set apart in Acts 6. He gives his life for Jesus in Acts 7. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
What are you full of? Are you full of faith? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? We are living in an age where many people are full of everything but that. Our culture and our generation has been interrupted with toxicity. And it is easy to succumb to that. Stephen was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. That is who Philip is. Philip is one of seven people set apart in Acts 6 to do what? To serve the poor. The church is growing. There are about 5,000 men, according to the record in the book of Acts, who are part of the church, and then women and children after that because of the way culture was back then. They primarily, unfortunately, only counted men. There are about 5,000 men in the New Testament church, and the church is moved with compassion, and they're serving the poor. The apostles restructure their entire church they re-architect everything to serve the poor. And seven are chosen. Why are they chosen? And what is the criteria of choosing them? They have to be of good reputation. That word, good reputation, is martyreo. It's where we get our word martyr. It means I can put you on trial and judge whether or not you are guilty or not guilty of being a follower of Jesus. It is so much more than what people say about us. It has everything to do with the way we live. They are of good reputation. Their life publicly and privately is squeaky clean before the Lord. They are of good reputation. They are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. That's who Philip is. So after Stephen dies in Acts chapter 7, the church is persecuted and scattered. And the text says that Philip ends up in a place called Samaria. Samaria was um, home to a group of people that were at enmity with the Jewish people in the first century. It's not that they just disagreed, they hated one another. Uh, The Samaritans had a different set of scripture than the Jews. They had a different temple that they worshipped a god at than the Jews did. And so the, uh, the Samaritans were a mixed heritage of Jewish people and Assyrians. So Jewish people hated Samaritans. They were not allowed to, and let me add, Samaritans hated Jews too. They were not allowed to speak to one another. The parable of the good Samaritan that Jesus told is incredibly scandalous because it involves a Samaritan. In the year 128 B.C., a group of Jewish zealots or terrorists literally came into ancient Samaria and destroyed their temple and tried to, through military violence, force all of the Samaritans to worship Yahweh. That didn't go well. And so when Philip shows up in Samaria, it's not like he's just showing up in a place where people have different beliefs. He is the enemy. He is one of the guys whose ancestors killed their family And tried to force them to worship God. He is a guy who represents a belief system that says you must convert or else. So Philip shows up in Samaria by himself, by the way. He shows up in Samaria because of persecution and the scattering of Christians. And it says this in verse 5. 
Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. He preached Christ. Preaching Christ seems to be a new idea sometimes. He preached Christ. The message of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not self-help. It is not leadership. It is not how to have a better brand of existence. It starts and it ends and it perpetuates with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. He preaches Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles. Miracles can be seen, but they can also be heard. What miracle are they hearing? They're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a miracle that Jesus laid his life down and died for our sins. They're hearing and seeing the miracles. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out, and many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Amazing. So he preaches Christ, and people who are paralyzed are healed. People who are tormented by evil spirits are uh, liberated. Archaeologists have excavated the part of Samaria where Philip was, and they discovered about 10% of all of the skulls that they have excavated had holes in them. The Samaritans practiced um, a form of medicine uh, that when their children were not behaving, they drilled holes in their heads to let the evil spirits come out. So most of the Samaritans had children who died. Most of the Samaritan parents wanted to help their kids, but because of a medical practice that was also a form of spiritism, their children often either died or they uh, received horrendous infections and they would be crippled. So you've got this group of Samaritans who are ostracized from society. They're surrounded by people who don't like them. Their belief system is considered to be ridiculous People have tried to conquer them, and many of them bear the, the weight of losing a child. I do, I do not know what it is like to lose a child. Some of you do. And if you've ever been around someone who loses a child, it's, they have a really hard time even finding the words. So I don't even presume to understand. All I know is for those that I know who have lost a, children, a child, the sorrow is deep, deep. So imagine an entire region filled with people who are just broken. And Philip shows up and he preaches Christ. And there is great joy in the whole city. When you continue to read, you'll find out that two of the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem after the scattering and persecution that I talked about at the beginning of Acts 8, Peter and John actually come to Samaria. And what they find is eye-opening. They find that the Samaritans have responded to the gospel. People have been set free from evil spirits and torment. People have been healed. And the Bible says that Peter and John lay their hands on the people, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. What's interesting to me is that Philip spends his time and his energy and his resource to build something that other people take over. 
You can tell a lot about a person when they lose influence. You can tell a lot about a person when they contend for a breakthrough and then God asks them to let it go. It takes great faith to serve in this capacity. Philip is the one that God used to pioneer something and then all of a sudden Peter and John show up, they take over the whole thing and you don't find any evidence in Acts chapter eight in any way that Philip is offended or bitter at all. Worldly success does not define who we are. Someone once said it reveals who we are. And at the height, at the apex of success, and everything is going well, Philip has had his prayers answered. He has experienced a significant breakthrough. I'm not saying this happens all the time. There are 10 billion reasons, I'm sure, why some prayers aren't answered instantaneously. But one of the reasons, one of 10 billion, one of the reasons is sometimes God knows that as soon as the prayer is answered and we receive the promise, we will love the promise more than we do God. And so some prayers are delayed because God knows as soon as you get that, you'll stop talking to me. And God, in his mercy, he woos us, not to play games, but because the purpose of prayer is not to get the answer. The purpose of prayer is him. So Philip experiences the answer to his prayer and breakthrough and all of this. Peter and John show up, and then it happens. Verse 26 of Acts 8, this is what it says. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. At the apex and at the height of significance, an angel appears to Philip and asks him to leave. And he does. He does. Have you ever been in a place where God spoke to you and it was inconvenient? Sometimes significance and inconvenience are companions. Sometimes God will, sometimes heaven will move in such a way to where it creates significant inconvenience for us. And for Philip, he leaves Samaria and heaven instructs him to go to the desert alone. There are 18 times in the book of Acts where there is supernatural direction from heaven given to someone. This is one of them. I would suggest that God is looking for people who refuse to trade the altar of surrender for the stage of significance. Sometimes we think that when we surrender to God, that surrender, and I'm sorry, online crowd, if I'm messing this up, but sometimes we think that that surrender to God always ends up in a higher, more visible spot. But what we're going to find out is often surrendering to God will take us to less visible places. And that's where, that's where he is. So what I love about this story is not that Philip has this encounter with an angel. What I love about this story is after he has this encounter with an angel, he continues to listen to God. Listen to what it says, verse 27. So Philip arose and he went 
And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So you've got Philip in Samaria experiencing a significant breakthrough, if you will, an angel appears to him and says, leave it all and go to the desert alone. And so he goes and he's standing in the desert and he sees the dust kicking up from the wheels of the chariot. Who does the chariot belong to? It belongs to an Ethiopian eunuch who is, that is another way of saying he is a slave who will serve in the royal court of the Ethiopian queen. Jewish history says that when the queen of the south came up to visit King Solomon, King Solomon wed her, she bore a son and went back to Ethiopia. If you want to find the purest form of orthodox BCE Judaism, you do not find it today in Israel. You find it in Ethiopia. Those Hebrews... They speak Hebrew. They read Hebrew. It is the purest form that we know of on the earth, in the opinions of many. It started when the queen of the south and Solomon got married. This Ethiopian eunuch is serving in the court of an Ethiopian Hebrew queen, and he goes to Jerusalem on a spiritual pilgrimage. He is wealthy enough to own a scroll of Isaiah. He knows Hebrew. Because he can read it, but he doesn't understand it. He goes to arguably what is probably the best church on the, in the history of the world, the first century church in Jerusalem. And he leaves not knowing Jesus. That tells me that no matter how slick the church service is, it's never enough. It's never enough. You, you can go to the first century temple and still leave not knowing him. But what I love about this story is the Bible says the Spirit speaks to Philip, go and overtake the chariot. In Deuteronomy 23, it says eunuchs were not allowed to enter the court of the Lord. And so you've got a spiritual law that prevents the Ethiopian, because he is a eunuch, from entering into the house of the Lord. And the Spirit still sees him. The Spirit always sees us. And this man leaves Jerusalem not finding what he was looking for, and he's riding his chariot, and the dust kicks up from the, the, the wheels of his chariot. And little does this Ethiopian wealthy leader know that there's somebody on the hillside who's daring to listen when the Spirit of God whispers. What impresses me about Philip is not that he had this encounter with an angel. What impresses me is he listened to God after the encounter. Go to the chariot. And so if you keep reading, Philip overtakes the chariot. God gives him supernatural strength to outrun a chariot. He catches up to the chariot, and he engages this Ethiopian in conversation. What are you reading? I'm reading the scroll of Isaiah, but I don't understand. And starting with that and the scriptures, Philip explains the gospel to him. That's what it says in Acts 8. Philip is able to look at the book of Isaiah and he sees Jesus all over the pages. Actually, it would have been one page because it was a scroll. 
but he sees Jesus all over the scroll. And then the Ethiopian says, what's preventing me from being baptized? And so Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. Now watch this. He baptizes the Ethiopian, and the Spirit of God literally picks Philip up and transports him and takes him somewhere else. In the book of Acts, there are four instances when the Spirit of God speaks to people. The first is in Acts chapter 8, when the Spirit of God speaks to Philip to go have a conversation with an Ethiopian who, as far as we know, becomes the first Gentile convert in the New Testament. The second time the Spirit of God speaks to somebody is found in Acts chapter 10, verse 19 through 20, when Peter has a vision from heaven and and a sheet is let down and he sees all of these animals on the sheet and the Spirit of God speaks to him, do not judge anything unclean that God has made. It's a pivotal moment in the New Testament. Literally, the Spirit of God speaks to Peter and reorients his thinking. Because he may be a follower of Jesus, but he's still living under a covenant that's no longer relevant. The Spirit of God speaks to Peter in Acts 10. The third time it happens is in Acts chapter 13, where God will take the headquarters of the New Testament church and transition it away from Jerusalem to Antioch, where the missionaries will be sent out. And then the fourth time is in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 23, when the Spirit of God bears witness in cities all over a region, um, testifying that Paul will be persecuted and eventually imprisoned and give his life in Rome. The Spirit of God speaks to Philip, and he dares to listen. He surrendered to the whisper of the Spirit of God when it was very, very inconvenient. In verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip was found at Azotus. If you go back in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts 8, verse 26, the angel of the Lord says to Philip, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. The angel of the Lord tells Philip, I want you to get on this road and go towards Gaza, which is 100 miles away from Samaria. After Philip has this encounter with an Ethiopian in the middle of nowhere, the Spirit of God picks him up. And where does the Spirit drop him? The Spirit of God does not drop him In Gaza, the Spirit of God drops him in Azotus, which is 20 miles in the opposite direction of Samaria. I guess here's kind of the point. Sometimes God, in our surrender, places us on a path, and we never reach the destination that we fix our eyes on. Sometimes God will will lead us by saying, go to Gaza, but we never end up in Gaza. Wait a second. God told me to go to Gaza. Yeah. And God reserves the right to make sure you don't go there. Sometimes God says, go here. And as you're going, because you don't listen, because we're not surrendered to the voice, we think that God's final destination for us is here. And I wonder how many times the promise is aborted because we listen the first time and we don't continue to listen. We have this encounter with an angel. Oh, this is amazing. I'm going to Gaza. And the spirit the whole time is saying, no, really, I want you to talk to this Ethiopian guy. I really want you over here in Azotus. 
But if I would have said, go to Azotus, you would have said, no way. So I knew I better get him going to Gaza. Does any of that make sense? It's, it's the way it works for a lot of us all the time. It's a life of surrender. Are we willing to surrender and leave Samaria and go to the, and go to the desert? Are we willing to surrender and go have a conversation with some random person in the middle of nowhere? Are we willing to surrender and find ourselves at a spot that we never even thought we would end up in just because we are surrendered to the voice of God? So whatever happens to Philip, well, the last time he's mentioned in the Bible is in Acts 21, verse 6. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions, who's Paul? He's the same Saul in Acts 8 who, before he knew Jesus, is persecuting the Christians. In case you don't know, it's the same guy. Now, Paul knows Jesus personally, and his entire life has been changed. He has devoted his entire life to plant churches in regions where he used to try to wreak havoc. When we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed, and we came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip evangelist. One of the seven, seven who? The seven men chosen in Acts 6. He was one of the seven. We stayed with him. And the Holy Spirit who inspires the Bible, how does he describe Philip? We stayed with Philip, one of the seven, a man who started the Samaritan revival. A man who had an encounter with an angel. A man who had the conversation with the Ethiopian, which, by the way, according to Irenaeus, the church father, this Ethiopian exports the gospel to northern Africa. And by the time Constantine becomes the emperor, before he issues the edict for the world to convert to Christianity, one of the largest megachurches, over 100,000 Christians, was in Ethiopia. <clears throat> trace back to somebody whose name we don't even know, a eunuch. It doesn't say that about Philip. It says he had four daughters who prophesied. Amazing. A man who lives a life of surrender, his first surrender to God takes him in Acts 6, Serving the poor, where nobody knows him, just serving the poor. Serving the poor. You can catch a glimpse of Jesus among the poor. God comes to us through the poor. Philip Bergen said it this way. He says, the poor remind us of who we are. The prophets tell us of who we could be. So we hide the poor and kill the prophets. 
Philip starts out by serving the poor. And in the midst of significant persecution, he goes to the middle of nowhere in Samaria all alone, and he preaches Jesus. And the impact is there is great joy in the city. His surrender takes him to the poor, and then his surrender takes him to the stage where an entire city is awakened in revival. And then his surrender takes him to the desert all alone. We're in the middle of nowhere. On a day like all other days, he dares to listen when the Spirit whispers to him, go to the chariot. He has one conversation with an Ethiopian, and as soon as the Ethiopian is baptized, the Spirit picks Philip up and takes him over here to Azotus. What happens, we don't know. But only God can write a story to set a guy named Philip apart at a time when Saul is persecuting the church. And who ends up staying at Philip's house? Paul. And what does the Holy Spirit say about Philip? He's a dad. And he's doing it well. It's a, it's a privilege for all of us to live a life of total surrender to the Lord. And just as in case, so that there's no confusion, our surrender has very little to do with getting a stage or getting a promotion or being seen. Sometimes our surrender takes us to the visible place, like it did Philip in Samaria, where we are in the midst of a lot of really good stuff. And sometimes our surrender to God takes us to a less visible place, like the desert or our home. But the point is surrender. So, Spirit of God, I ask that you will speak to us again. Speak to us again, God. And before you speak, we surrender. Before you ask anything of us, we say yes. We want to live a life of obedience. We want to live a life that says yes after you speak to us, God. But more than that, we want to live a life of surrender and say yes before you even say a word. And I pray, God, for those in the room who next time they surrender, it may take them to a more visible place. I pray, give, give them the courage and the boldness and the faith to never, ever, ever, ever trade the altar of surrender for a stage of being seen, for a stage of significance. And God, for those who surrender takes them to a hard place, a barren place like the desert, or those who surrender takes them to an ordinary, beautiful place like their home. Let us be like Philip and in our surrender be faithful with the big and faithful with the small because at the end of the day, Lord, it's all big because it's all for you. So we say yes. I want to ask a quick question. If you're in the room today or if you're listening or watching online and you need to surrender to Jesus, it may be salvation or it may just be where you're at in life. Sometimes surrender is required at very inconvenient times. But significance is found when we surrender. Just right where you're at, before the Lord, bend your heart in his direction. Just surrender.
can have it all, Lord. You can take it all. I'll lay anything down, Lord, and I'll pick anything up. for you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. God bless you and let's go and surrender today. See you later. Have a great week.